Welcome to True Crime Medieval, 1,000 Years of People Behaving Badly. That's our theme. I'm Ann Brannan, your host who's recording in Albuquerque. And I'm Michelle in Maryland, the most medieval state in America. <laughs> and today we are um, start the, we're on the first part of uh, the Princes in the Tower, because really there's so much to talk about. So we are talking today about the Princes in the Tower, which is uh, King Edward V, who actually never wore the crown, but, you know, technically. He, he was, was going to get it, but then he didn't get one. No. Uh, his his and his brother Richard of Shrewsbury, the Duke of York, um, who were when last seen in 1483, 12 and nine years old, uh, disappeared into the Tower of London and never seen again. So of course we're we have hundreds of years of speculation as to what happened to them. They're dead by now, to be fair. For sure. <laughs> They are no longer with us. The background, um, all this, this, uh, this is happening near the end of, uh, it's one of the last chapters of um, the Cousins Wars, uh, which are popularly referred to as the Wars of the Roses, but which I do not refer to as the Wars of the Roses because they called it the Cousins Wars. And the Wars of the Roses was a name, it's a romantic name made up by Sir Walter Scott and it annoys me. So I'm calling it the Cousins Wars. They were a series of civil wars in England, which lasted from 1455 to 1487. They decimated the, the country. They were very, they, they were just awful. Essentially, what was going on was that there were two lines from the Plantagenets, the House of York and the House of Lancaster, and the wars were about who was going to be on the throne. In the course of them, it's not true. Um, we like to think that you know the entire noble houses were um, uh, taken out. This isn't actually true. But twelve princes died, about two hundred nobles died, maybe about a hundred thousand gentry and common people. And um, two, it's true that two generations of uh, the Somerset and Warwick um, lines were uh, all the males were gone. And the male lines of both the Lancasters and the Yorks were done. That was it, which is, of course, sort of ironic since the whole point was which of them was going to get to be on the throne. At the end of all this, what will happen is that the Tudors will take over and the Tudors were descended from... Uh, Henry V's widow's bodyguard. <laughs> <laughs> from the English point of view, it's Henry V's bodyguard. From the Welsh point of view... These, <laughs> this is a pretty important family. But at any rate, yeah, from the Tudor, from a family that was descended from a Tudor at Meredith, and one of the descendants of John of Gaunt. So the Plantagenets get back in there, although you know not under that name. The reason they, the reason is all of this started was um, King Henry the uh, Sixth, who was. King Henry VI was nine months old when he became king in 1422, uh, which is a really bad time to take up being king. I mean, your executive function is just not there. I don't know if you've noticed this in nine-month-old people, but they're just not good at making decisions. You've raised kids too, Michelle. You agree with me on this? King of England and France, so he had double oh, duty. Pardon me. I forgot about the Fran French part, which is important because it's one of the reasons his wife gets in on things. Civil war broke out in 1455, so that's the beginning of the 
the Cousins Wars because of his long mismanagement of basically England. They were focusing on France and Margaret of Anjou taking power because Henry was having mental breakdowns. He was long past the whole nine-month-old period, but, you know, he wasn't doing well anyway. His cousin Richard, the Duke of York, uh, was was declared his heir. He attempted to take the throne. Henry regained his senses. They went to war. York captured Henry. And theoretically, things could have stopped at that point. Richard was declared heir. But Margaret of Anjou refused to accept the English Parliament's decision about her son's disinheritance. And so there was more war. Richard of York was defeated in 1460 at the Battle of Wakefield. The Lancastrians put his head on a pike over um, the Micklegate Bar at York. So he was dead, but his son was proclaimed king. Uh, he was next in line, and Richard had been in line. So the English declared Edward the Fourth king, not just because um, Henry had proclaimed Richard his heir, but in large part due to the work of Richard Neville, the 16th Earl of Warwick, who's known to us as the kingmaker. For good reason. Yeah, for good reason. Yeah, he's, he was big on kings. So Edward IV um, claimed the throne on March the 4th. Uh, soon after, on March 29th, the Lancastrians lost the Battle of Towton, and so the Yorks are on the throne. This, there was a relative, This was, things were relatively peaceful, <laughs> you know, I mean, as far as that goes. I mean, it's not like people weren't beating each other up if they were on different sides, but things were relatively peaceful from um, 1461 to 1469, at which point things heated up again because the kingmaker withdrew his support for Edward. Things had been strained ever since Edward's marriage to Elizabeth Woodville, which we'll get to in a moment. Her family had taken more and more power. Uh, at that point, Edward flew, fled to Flanders in 1470, and Henry VI, who was still not dead, was reinstated as king. Um, and I think he might have had his brains back at that point, but maybe not because really, honestly, I get lost as to when it is he's mentally stable and when he's not. But the Lancastrians were defeated at the Battle of Tewkesbury in 1470, which is when Henry's um, son was killed. And so his only legitimate heir was gone anyway. Edward at that point re-entered London, retook the throne. Uh, Henry also disappears at that point, and we believe that he was killed pretty much right after Edward came back in. So Edward was... Um, Unopposed as king at, from that point until he died in 1483, at which point his 12-year-old son became Edward V, one of the little princes in the tower. Yeah. So will you want to fill us in about this lovely love story as to how Edward V came to, into being with his parents? I want to smack Edward IV so hard. <laughs> He had, he had. No, it's romantic. Oh my it's God. the Wars of the Roses. People have like little crowns. It's kings and queens. It's why people get interested in the Middle Ages. It goes around with turkey legs and the Renaissance fairs. Oh, I'm sorry. Did, was that my outside voice? Your turn. If, if Edward had had, I mean, part of the problem here is that he's very young. When he becomes king, he's only a teenager. Um, and Elizabeth is what, five years older than him and a widow and he's young, which excuses a certain amount of dumb, but holy crap, you're king. You cannot be thinking of your dick. <laughs> I'm going to have to click the explicit little box. In the <laughs> so yes, we so, have bad language when we're talking about the middle ages. Well, I mean, particularly when people are dumb, right? So he, he has become king after a 10 year civil war. 
right? Yeah, that's right. It wasn't an easy transition. Yeah, it's not like he inherited the thing, you know, easy peasy, lemon squeezy or something. It's been a decade of civil war. And what you should do at this point is follow the advice of your counselors, marry a well-connected, rich, foreign princess like everybody else since before the Norman conquest. No kidding. It's been since the 1040s that anybody married one of their own citizens. It's yeah. And even, even before that, it was, this is why the, there's so many marriages throughout like the Norwegians and the English and the Welsh and the Scots and the Russians. I mean, there's, there's a lot of intermarriage that has been going on up in with the English and anybody they any other king family in Europe for a long, long time in, on into the old English period. There's good there's good reasons why this isn't done. I mean, we tend to see this relationship kind of retrospectively through Pride and Prejudice colored glasses, but I Ed, don't know Edward and Elizabeth are not Darcy and Elizabeth. His situation is precarious. He needs to shore up his support. He has to affect the delicate balance of rewarding his followers while putting in place a competent and not incredibly corrupt government. He needs to provide heirs. He really just cannot afford to waste the opportunity to create a valuable alliance. So instead, like a moron, he gets married in secret... Keeps the marriage secret for months while while his lords are debating which foreign princess for him to marry. He's already been married. He's been married for like four months. So, of course, when he plops this out, Richard Neville, who's been doing the backdoor negotiations, Earl of Warwick, you know, the most powerful dude of his day. He's like the John of Gaunt of his day. <laughs> I love it because that's such a medieval remark. You know, people that aren't medievalists might not think that, well, <laughs> it wouldn't come to their mind to go, he's the John he of totally Gaunt of his is. day. <laughs> who, is the, who is in our day? Who is in our day of his day? <laughs> well, Edward is the Bill Clinton. <laughs> Like, this is so dumb. Okay. <laughs> this is so stupid. I can't I can't get past it. It's so stupid. This this is actually why we're working together, because if I was working with a medievalist who thought this was some kind of nice love story, I just have to kill him. So 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 Warren comes back with, hey, I've got this thing arranged for you, and it's all good. We're ready to go public. And Edward's like, I'm just gonna stop you right there. <laughs> I've already been married. Last time we talked about the connection with Game of Thrones. Here we have a Game of Thrones connection too, right? This is Rob Stark. This is Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah this is, this Rob is Stark. making the dumb, yep. dumb, you know, crotch-led decision that leads to disaster. There, I mean, if he had looked around and said, Who can I find that is the least suitable person to marry? It would be hard to come up with somebody better. I mean, she's the widow, but she, she was really beautiful. I, I mean, actually I will grant that. Cause we, we know this, this is, this, this is what everybody says. She was gorgeous. She's the widow of a Lancastrian knight, <laughs> Sir John Gay, who was killed fighting for them at the second battle of St. Albans. She's already got two little boys. You just do not want older half siblings of your heir floating around. This is just, Oh my God. So, and she's not royal. No, no. And I mean, she's from this like ambitious family, right? Her dad, Lord Rivers, had married the widow 
of John of Bedford, Henry VI's uncle, so Henry V's brother, launching the family social climb. Oh, my God. So she's gorgeous. She refuses to be Edward's mistress. Edward's 22. He's still young enough to think he can do what he wants and get away with it. And and it may also have been that he was, um, that there was a piece of him that was figuring out how to get out from Warwick's, out from under Warwick's thumb. Um, possibly, because he does, he does start flouting him more and more. That's a bad choice, though. Yeah, no. Because Warwick finally, as the Woodvilles leverage their new connection, Warwick finally throws up his hands and says, I'm done with this. I I have a lot of sympathy for Warwick here. It's odd. It's really odd. Especially if you've been raised on um, things like, oh, I don't know, that that White Queen movie. (laughs) It's like, you know, it's like, well, obviously Warwick's so awful. You know, sometimes arranged marriages are arranged for a reason. I don't know. I mean, I I have sympathy with Warwick because, the, I mean, they're fighting. They're actively fighting in the North to preserve Edward's throne. And here's Edward screwing things up. And you remember, remember, I like to remind us, these are all cousins. All these people are related. They're all distant cousins to each other. At any rate. Yeah. Edward's mom is a Neville, isn't she? Yeah. One of the things he's doing that is annoying Warwick is refusing him to marry off his daughters to cement his own relationship. So you may be right about him wanting to get out from under Warwick's thumb, but this does not help, right? He's got these two daughters, um, Isabel and Anne, who are coming up to marriageable age by 1470, and he wants to marry them off to create alliances. And Edward Edward keeps saying, no, 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 no. So um, Edward's brother, George makes an alliance with Warwick to marry his daughter Isabel secretly without Edward knowing. They run off to France and get married in secret. You would think that Edward would have some sympathy for the secret marriage part, given a piece of the story that we've just heard. Apparently it's not as cool when your brother does it in an alliance with somebody who used to be on your side, but is increasingly not. Mm. And of course, Richard, right? Uh, his brother Richard's only like 12 when Edward comes to the throne. So he's not even a problem yet or much of a force in any way. But one of the things, of course, that Warwick does, sorry, I keep, I keep popping back in here. One of the things he does with the other daughter is marry her to Henry VI's son, who was also called Edward, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he was. That's the one who, that was, that was the one who died at the Battle of Tewkesbury. But because things are a mess, she ends up married to Richard, Edward's younger brother. After he signs a prenup because his brother George says, oh, hell no, am I sharing the wives, you know, the sister's inheritance? I'm not sharing that with you. So he has to sign a prenup. Richard does Mm -hmm. agree to agree to let his brother have all of the work stuff that they would be inheriting. One of the outcomes of uh, the of Edward's marriage to Elizabeth Woodville was that the rivers um, became more and more powerful. They so that that was true. They were edging Warwick out, and they had more and more um, offices and lands and estates. This will come. This will be important. This will be important later. Is that part of the story? And one of one of the ways they're seizing that is her children from her first marriage become old enough to marry, and and Edward arranges good marriages for both of those boys. That's right. Yeah, it was a good move. It was a really really good move for um the rivers, but uh, 
it's it's a, it becomes very sad. Hence the podcast of the princess princes in the tower. Edward was Edward was the second born. He he had uh, he had an older sister Anne. Then it was Edward. Uh, he had a brother Edmund, who was going to be killed at the Battle of Wakefield. He had a. Um, there were two sisters after that, Elizabeth and Margaret, and then there was George. George was uh, seven years younger than Edward and Richard. The youngest child was ten years younger. George, uh, George, when when Warwick deserted Edward, George went with him, and uh, so deserting his brother and the king and. Uh, he reconciled with Edward later when it became clear that Warwick was not actually going to make George king. This was so, so again, it's not just Edward who makes really stupid decisions in, in this family. I mean, we've had all this civil war, and so here you're a younger son, your older brother is king, and and honestly, you think that you're going to get to just take this on over, although stuff is changing so much these days. Warwick was killed in 1471, and at that point, George was made Great Chamberlain. His wife died in 1476, and from then on, George seems to have lost whatever kind of rudder he had to begin with, which wasn't a really good rudder in the first place. He uh, he believed his wife was poisoned. Um, she's not going to be showing up on our True Crime podcast because she wasn't. She died either of consumption or um, childbed fever, but there's really no reason to think she was poisoned. Although George believed she was and um, managed to get um, one of her servants uh, judicially killed, although Edward later pardoned her. And he later got involved, maybe just peripherally, but he got, he got involved in a plot to kill Edward by witchcraft. Uh, it didn't work. Edward didn't die by witchcraft. But he was arrested, tried, convicted, and then privately executed in the Tower in 1478. Uh, probably not in a butt of Malmsey, I'm really sorry to tell you, because the butt of Malmsey, we love that. It's nice, great, but it, probably not. It was just a rumor. But it, what had happened was that Edward had continued to... To continue to let him back into favor, to give him power, and George just simply kept uh, abusing it. So that's that brother. The youngest brother had been extremely faithful. Richard was, um, when, when their father and brother were killed at the Battle of Wakefield in 1460, Richard was, what, like nine years old. Uh, Richard and George were sent to Holland. No, he was nine years old when he came back um, after the Battle of Taunton. He was only nine years old when he came back into England. And at that point, he lived with Warwick. He, was, he lived with Warwick for um, years, and Warwick uh, gave him his training and his tutelage. He remained faithful to Edward, though, when Warwick deserted him and indeed fled with Edward to Flanders. After Tewkesbury, he married Warwick's daughter Anne, uh, as we mentioned earlier. And under Edward, he gained estates, lordships. He was the great chamberlain. He was the Lord High Admiral. He was he was a very important um, soldier for um, for Edward. And when Edward died, he was named Lord Protector of the Realm. That was the 9th of April. What was the year? Remind me again when Edward died. 1483. Four, 1483. Yeah, when Edward died in 1483, Richard was named Lord Protector of the Realm. That was the 9th of April. On the 29th of April, Richard and the Duke of Buckingham met Anthony Woodville, who Earl Rivers, who was the Queen's brother, who was escorting the young king uh, down to London. They had 2,000 men. Richard had 600. He met them and uh, sent the... They, they sent... Um, 
the king, the young king further south, and Richard arrested Earl Rivers, his nephew Richard Gray, and um, their associate Thomas Vaughn. They were all they would all be later ex- they they would be executed on the twenty fifth of June on a charge of treason against the Lord Protector. And this is simply a this is a power move. This is a consolidation of power. What they were taking, they were not stealing the king. They were taking the king on down to London because his mother sent for him. <laughs> There's, have you got anything to add in there? There's like, sure. When you have a minor king, well, no. When you have a minor king, you're going to have uncles who are fighting. I mean, essentially, the Rivers and Richard are fighting over who is actually going to be the boss of the child king. Fair enough. And Richard wins this round. Fair enough. And Edward had, um, Edward had asked Richard to be the Lord Protector and to be um, the regent for the young king. The queen obviously is wanting her brother to do it. Yeah, Richard wins. At that point, the queen fled to Westminster Abbey and claimed sanctuary there. Uh, she was going to be there for quite some time. Uh, she took her two. She took her four daughters: uh, Thomas Gray, who was one of her sons by her first marriage, and Richard, Duke of York, her youngest son. The queen handed Richard over to his uncle Richard on the 16th of June. This, her brother wasn't dead yet. So that he could go to his brother's coronation. That's how, um, that, whether this was, at, at this point, whether um, Richard was actually planning to have the young king crowned or whether he was not is unknown. He said he was planning to have the young king crowned and he wanted um, his brother there at the coronation and, and the queen handed over that child. So that was the 16th of June. On the 22nd of June, a sermon was preached outside of St. Paul's declaring Edward's children illegitimate. Now, what this is about was that before um, this wonderful love story of that is so charming and wonderful, before Edward met Elizabeth Woodville, he had had many affairs. He was known for catting around. And uh, it was also believed, um, whether or not this is true, it was believed that he and Eleanor Butler had been promised each other, which uh, at this time would have made any marriage to anyone else illegal. Uh, so that's the, the charge is that um, he had a union with Eleanor Butler before his marriage to Elizabeth and that Richard and the young King Edward are illegitimate. And so this sermon is preached on the 22nd of June. The citizens of London petitioned Richard to take the throne. He accepted that on the 26th of June. At this point, Earl Rivers had just been executed the day before, and he was crowned on the 6th of July. The little princes were in the tower, and they were never seen after that summer. By the time that charge of bigamy comes out, both Edward and Eleanor are dead. Right, which makes it very hard to I, to disprove. There had been a lot of rumors before this. This had it. It was not the first time that anyone had said that those children were Ill- illegitimate. That had been kind of like a a, a little underneath foundation gossipy thing since their marriage. But yeah, it had never been dealt with. Edward had never like made it. He had never squashed it during his lifetime. So you know, I I would really prefer to think that Richard did not kill his nephews. I really would. But, you know, this part's this part's hard, right? He he doesn't have the boy crowned. He does, you know, and there is there is kind of a gulf between putting him in the tower because people go into the tower and come back out. You know, it's kind of a thing that happens, but they disappear. 
you know, they, it, well, it's not a prison exactly at, at this point. And people go in and they come back out, but they don't ever come back out. And Richard, you know, I, I would prefer to think that he didn't whack his nephews, but, you know, he only has the one son at this point who is known to be sickly. You know, um, he actually ends up dying. Richard's only child dies in 1484 and his wife dies not too long after that. It's hard to say you know, when you look at it, when you step back and you look at it as a whole picture, Richard was very faithful to his brother Edward. And that is something that's really clear over over decades. While, you know, his other brother defects and comes back and defects, Richard was loyal. You know, that arresting of Earl Rivers, that's a problem for me. You know, it isn't just like he shows up and goes, hi, glad you brought the kid this far. We'll take him. No problem. Do you want to come for lunch? You know, that's not what happens. That's a serious escalation of the family and political problems to, you know, arrest Earl Rivers for bring, you know, because he's bringing his nephew down into London. Yeah. And then everything happens so quickly. So quickly, the uh, the declaration of illegitimacy, the citizens sending the petition, oh, please be our king. You know, the, okay, yes, I will. I guess I will, since that's what you want. You know, it's like, it's just like not mentioning the little, little now illegitimate children who are just hanging out in the tower, just kind of not mentioning them. So it's a while before people go, wait, 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 where are the kids? George R. R. Martin's been pretty open about using this series of conflicts as his, you know, as a source for what he's doing with Game of Thrones. And Richard is um, kind of the closest character we have to Ned Stark, who's getting dragged into this and just can't, just can't navigate it. (laughs) And the declaration of, you know, the king's heirs as illegitimate, of course, is something that he picks up on. But the problem, as we'll talk about next time, the problem with trying to assess anything about Richard is the sources. We we have very little in the way of uh, a source that is coming down to us in some sort of unbiased fashion. Everything is, is that post-Tudor, which is influenced by the time period in which it's being written. Yeah, because the Tudors, um, the Tudors have a very tenuous um, bloodline to the throne through Margaret Beaufort. And they need to make it really clear that it was absolutely God's will that Richard III ended up in the car park. He's the last English king to die in battle. Is he then? Is he then? I didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. So we'll get to that next time. Check in uh, with us next time for the second half of The Princes in the Tower, where we discuss what happened to them, what might have happened to them, what people said happened to them, what probably didn't happen to them, but we don't know, and take it on down to the end of the Cousins War. Anything else you got to say, Michelle? Mm, nope. I want to talk about I want to talk about Shakespeare next week and <laughs> the obligations of historical fiction. <laughs> you go, girl. You get to do that. <laughs> <laughs> we're signing <laughs> we're signing off then this is true crime medieval all about the crimes that are just like the crimes nowadays except with less technology bye so is that okay for a tagline you like that oh yes i like that <laughs>